0: Go ahead and open with me to Romans chapter 11, and yes, I am Nick Rogers again, two weeks in a row. This has not happened yet since I've been at CCF, so excited to be back. <laughs> Thanks, man. Uh, I'm excited to be back to preach to you, and honestly, it is a blessing because it was pretty pretty hard word last week in Revelation 2, and this is kind of a follow-up to now bring our eyes up to help us worship and adore Jesus Christ. So as I said, this is going to be kind of a follow-up sermon to Revelation 2, 1-7, through the church of Ephesus. And the church of Ephesus had been in danger of losing the main thing. And we need to keep diligent sight of the main thing, is what I talked about last week. And you're asking yourself, if you didn't come last week, what is the main thing? I'd love to tell you. The main thing is keeping our first love in Jesus Christ, that we not lose our first love, that Amidst doing all of good things for God and for his church and for his people, we can get lost and we can forget. And that that keeping the main central things of love for Christ are an appetite for God's word, a prayer life that is praying for the lost to come to know Christ, and that by that we also love the lost, our neighbors, by telling them the good news. So some of the sins and the mindsets that manifest themselves in losing the main thing is something I like to refer to as, that the Bible refers to a hardness of heart, a hardness of heart. It kind of looks like for the Christian a bitterness that starts to rise up towards the church. You're looking for enemies everywhere. You are gradually slipping away into areas of sin in your life, and you love the world a little bit more and more and more every day, and you begin to hate or be bitter towards the things of God a little more and more every day. So we forget that through Christ only is his yoke easy and his burden light. And at the hectic pace and the relentless run of our lives, you and I are not even analyzing our life anymore, are we? Sometimes we're so busy and consumed with other things, we're becoming people we don't even like. And yet... Continuing to do that daily and daily and daily. Run that race towards the person I'm not even liking anymore. So we could be like Ephesus. We could have a passion for good things. Study and doctrine and theology. Our heart is just growing with all these good things that we see in the church. We're using our gifts. We're serving. We're doing this and that and that and that. And then we could all of a sudden have lost our love for Christ while doing all those good things as Ephesus had. This morning we're talking about a fire that comes from a passion of looking at the main thing as a way to make our hearts soar in praise. See, it's a passionate pursuit of Christ as our first love that really results in a life of true worship. So our prayer this morning is that we won't go back to our normal way of life which is the relentless pursuit of something that we might not even like, the same dull way of looking at God, the same dull way of kind of just striving after things and saying like, well, God, you're, you're just along for the ride, but that we'd pause and we'd let this text be the result as it was for Paul who wrote Romans as this amazing journey on the salvation, of the salvation of sinners and God's work in that. See, Paul, as he's been writing Romans, has kind of worked himself up into this amazing praise. He writes this amazing hymn at the end because as he's contemplating the gospel over and over and over again, he's looking at it through all of history, he can't help but worship, but crescendo into this praise. The gospel shows us God. And when we see God, we will worship if we see it the way Paul has. So let's read Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36, church. This is the word of God. It says, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to God that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. I think we should pray. God, in your being, who you are, God, it is infinitely deep. Infinitely important that we just sit and think about these things this morning. Would you awaken the dead heart, the sleeping heart, the callous, lazy heart, and would you make the ones that are passionately pursuing you soar even more as we come to your word and you speak. In your name we pray, amen. So has anybody ever seen Mount Everest? And I mean actually in person seen it. I had one in first service. I don't see anybody raising their hand. Mostly what we do is we see, this is a really bad picture because the projector's not great. If you're online, you're probably seeing it a little better. Mount Everest is immense in its size and scope. And specifically when you stand at its base and look at its peak, you're thinking, I'm dead. I am so stupid to try to climb this sucker. So if you and I were standing at base camp of Everest, you know what we wouldn't be doing? We would not be trying to compare who's better at everything. Who's who's taller? Who's more impressive? Because when you look at Everest and you stand at its base, you realize you are not that impressive. And that's not what you're worried about. Because it's the weight, it's the danger, it's the wonder, it's the majesty, it's the glory of the thing that you're looking at that is so changing your perspective. And that's what happens when you stand at Everest's base. So as you ascend the mountain you go to different camps, different areas of where you have to take a rest and you have to prepare for the next phase because it's that intense of a climb up the mountain. It's trying to kill you as you climb it. And specifically as you reach, are ready to reach the summit, you get to the death zone where you need oxygen. <laughs> so let's think of Romans as I think that Paul thought of it, like Mount Everest. It's theology. It's journey to this hymn of praise that we find ourselves this morning. Here's some different camps. Obviously, there are more, but I'm just thinking briefly for us this morning. Let's consider some. Romans 9, 1, 16 through 17 is very crucial. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Right? That is what Paul says. For it is first to the Jew, then to the Greek, and he begins to unpack that for 11 chapters. And why he's not ashamed of it. Camp 2, Romans 3, 21 through 24. Despite our simpleness, God in his mercy has saved us through Jesus Christ. What an amazing gift. You and I are dead in our sin. We didn't even want God, but God has so wanted us that He has adopted us into His family through faith in Jesus Christ. You can already feel it building. Camp three, as we ascend the mountain, Romans 5:11, the mercy and grace is so good. That not only does God save you, he invites you to be hit with him forever. The gospel is way better than we could even imagine, and he keeps going. Camp 4, Romans 8. Even the non-Christians here this morning might know Romans 8. What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. We are beginning to see the splendor as we ascend the mountain, and I love the end, 38 through 39. He's building on these truths, these challenges. Everything was against the gospel coming to the world, and yet God, through his sovereign mercy, has saved his people, and there is nothing in the universe that can separate you from God's love if you're a Christian this morning, and that is worthy of an amen. If you're a Christian, nothing can separate you from Christ's love. You feel how good the gospel is, and we're not done. But what's really interesting is he summits the hill. (laughs) It's not a hill, it's a mountain. As he summits this Everest, he goes to chapters 9 through 11, though. Because you and I find ourselves in the death zone. You and I are stepping way beyond what we can understand and comprehend about God. God is graciously revealing us some things, but we're in the death zone. We need oxygen if we're going to survive this theological concept. We've reached the apex. We've seen the glorious view, and I love some of those shots of people that make it to the top of Everest because it is unbelievable. Believable. You can see the curvature of the earth from the top. That's how high up you are. And he sees God's saving work. And its glorious mystery of his sovereignty and people responding to the gospel. And the gospel is for both the Jew and who is God's chosen people in the Old Testament who have led us to this point, and now the Gentile together. The Gentile is every other person in the world that's not Jewish, so guess what? It's all people, all times, all places. God has saved both. And he has, as the text says right before this this hymn, consigned all to disobedience, which just means you and I are sinners. That's the bad news. What's the good news? so that he may have mercy on every person what what a mystery what a glorious view that we can see if you have the oxygen to get there so paul's on the apex he's at the peak of the letter and now he's worked himself up because he's been looking at what the main thing the gospel Jesus saving sinners for his glory and your praise and worship and satisfaction for all eternity. He's worked himself up and he says this amazing word that we just don't use enough with God. Oh, it's a weighty, oh, it's a weighty, wow. I am speechless at what I see. We do not talk about God's salvation that way much, do we Christians? But we should, because when we're standing at the peak, it's an oh, it's a deep, weighty oh. Isn't it amazing what Christ has done for you and for me when we get to the top? And we can just survey. As God has saved people through the gospel, Paul has begun to richly, have a richer and richer and richer understanding as he's taken. Taking us through the letter and his emotions and his affections are just being stretched so much that he can't contain himself anymore and he begins to just be thrilled by God and he begins to praise him look at the text verse 33 should make you say oh with him if you're a christian oh the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable, another word would be, untraceable are his ways. Let's look at the word depth. I love this illustration of thinking about an iceberg or the Grand Canyon. The iceberg's probably a little better. But I have to include the Grand Canyon because I've seen it. So I just wanted to include it, get it some, some credit in here. Think of an iceberg or God's revelation as this if Everest was the top of the iceberg, it's infinitely deep below. You and I can only see what He has revealed in the Word and through Him His Son Jesus Christ and through the Spirit. We have it here. God is infinitely more unknowable than that. Think about that for a moment. Think like if it's the Grand Canyon, we can see the beginning, we can see the top, we can see its glorious depth and width and just its immensity. It's just drawing us into its depth, but yet infinitely deep is God. And we can only see the beauty that He has revealed. Paul is reflecting on this depth that we can't even reach. Look what Christ has done. Look what he's revealed through the word, and yet we're just scratching the surface. We're just seeing the beauty of only what we can see, and then there's infinitely more. God is infinitely more marvelous and magnificent than you and I have even dared to dream of. You can't even know how rich you are. He makes billionaires look like beggars just his riches of his knowledge and we haven't even got to the other stuff he's so rich in knowledge and wisdom can't even see its depth so to my churchgoers my christian friends and brothers and sisters to my non-christians or those who are just checking out a church for the first time I'm just going to tell us all, you don't know anything compared to what God knows. And we are so full of it sometimes, aren't we? Thinking we have figured out the world and the, the, the mysteries of the universe and how God's working and what he's, we don't know the beginning. All we can know is this, and it is scratching the surface of what God It should lead you and I to say things like, wow, and oh, not a, well, this stinks. No, it's an oh, it's a I didn't understand my place kind of reaction. Or I have not really sat and understood the majesty of what I'm looking at. So church, I want us to really understand. And if you're a professor or somebody that's really intelligent and has done a lot of study on these things, I want us to remember this. That we are not going to spend an eternity in heaven like the thinker sitting around pontificating about what we got right on the earth with theology and doctrine. You know what we're going to do? We're going to burst forth and praise and say, I didn't know a thing about how good this was. It's going to, and I'm not going to say, this is not me dogging on these two Um, denominations. I'm just kind of going for an example here. It'll make a Baptist turn into a Pentecostal for a little bit, for an eternity, right? And excited and exuberant about what they're seeing. And then it's going to make a Pentecostal turn in in silence and say, I don't know anything. And bow their face and praise God. You see, I think Paul is drawing off of Daniel and Daniel 2. Because Daniel reaches a similar climax in his understanding. Here's what Daniel says May the name of God be praised forever and ever, for the wisdom and power belong to him. He changes the times and seasons, he removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals the deep and hidden things, he knows what is in the darkness. And light dwells with him. See, the God of Daniel and Paul is so big, you cannot fit your intellectual three-pound brain around him. Church, listen to that for a second. You cannot get your arms around God so much that you figured him out. How wonderful of a God is that? And in verse 33, Paul just cannot say anything other than, oh the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. So ponder this with me too, that we will spend every single second of every day in heaven internally, incrementally knowing and learning about God, and you will never be exhausted, and you will be eternally satisfied by it. And that's not to mention the other awesome stuff you get to do in heaven. That's just one aspect. So God has hidden these things from us. He's given us a revelation but at some point, human beings have to come to the point where Job came to, which is where we start talking about things we don't understand. And God has to say, Stop talking. You need to get back up on top of that mountain and you need to look at what I've done. And you need to remember who I am because we speak about things we didn't understand because we are not done talking about the word depth you're like oh no where do we go from there i want to tell you about an interview on npr i like npr it's comforting nice they talk very quietly and and chill which i like appreciate and he's asking somebody to describe theology and the guy goes and i'm going to try to use a voice well theology is like a poetry You know, religion is a man made concept and theology is man made. It's just what you think it is and it's your creative ambitions coming into your mind. Then it finally gets to the interviewer and he goes, Wow, that's so deep. (laughs) Church, that's not deep. That's real bad. And that's really sad. And frankly, it's ignorant. Church, I'm just telling you, any God that you want to create in your own brain, I have no interest in worshiping because it's a really silly, silly God. And if you could fully understand and know God, guess what? You would be God, and you're not. So I have no interest in worshiping you this morning. And you should have no interest in worshiping a God that I created. That's a silly thing to say. But we say it all the time, don't we, in our blog posts and online and everything. Paul hasn't summited this Everest of theology of salvation to say some silly stuff about God. No, it's a glory that has so wrapped him up that he begins to sing, and he can't hold it back anymore. He sings about the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Church, we can't miss the main thing this morning. The main thing is that we need to love Jesus Christ, who is our first love. And boy, is he not worthy of worshiping. How good is God that he would save the very people who hate him. John would say the light has come into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, but people rejected the light. You're here rejecting Jesus this morning, but Jesus has not rejected you. You are his enemy. You fight against him. You are pushing against God this morning. I'm here to tell you God loves you. And that is unbelievably good news. It's so glorious news that it can lead you to a life of satisfaction and worship. If you just believe and repent and trust in Christ and faith. Sinclair Ferguson says this, the Jews needed to understand what Paul was saying because they had found themselves in the role of the prodigal son. They weren't the prodigal son, they were the big brother. And in that story, the Gentiles are the prodigal son. They've went, they've squandered God's inheritance, everything God had told, had given them, all these good things, and they had rejected God and spit on him and done their own thing. And what had God done when they came back? killed the fatted calf he gives them the robes he welcomes them back into their home into his home and what did the jews do as the big brother they're mad and they're jealous and they're frustrated you didn't do this for us God and God's like yes I did I gave you my only son and can't we be like that too Next, it says, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways or untraceable are his ways. Church, would you have done salvation the way God has? The answer is no. No, you wouldn't. See, God died for his enemies while they were still his enemies. Church, God has covered up his tracks in the most amazing way because we could never trace out his tracks. Even if he was like, yeah, I'll just let you know, here's everything to discover, could never discover it. It's infinitely undiscoverable. So God has, he's untraceable because you can't know something infinitely like God can. And it's amazing. It's supposed to lead you to praise. See, every atom in the universe, by the way, that's really low in like the matter order right it's like infinitely small and then you know string theory and like all the other things that go infinitely smaller and smaller and smaller god knows all those things he holds them exactly the way he wants to and god knows the infinitely unknowable things of the darkness and the infinity of the universe and every galaxy and every black hole and every star that we'll never see we find ourselves in the middle of those grand things don't we We're in between the infinitely small and the infinitely large, and I think that's on purpose. Because his ways are untraceable. God is sovereign. God is free. God does not need us to tell him what to do and where to go. That's why it's so important that you and I were given a Bible by God, so that we can know him and understand what he wants us to see. He's revealed the most beautiful things about himself. Specifically, our Savior, Jesus, the Son of God, dying for us. And as we trace out our lives and the people in the Bible's lives, what's amazing is they are so concerned and so confused about what God is doing, they even say, God, you've abandoned me, and he hasn't done so. And only to find out later in the story that God had never abandoned them. God had loved them so much and had given them so much, but they just, it didn't line up with their expectations of what God had for them. It's, the Bible's full of that. And look how God has done it in your life. Could you imagine you'd be sitting next to, if you're married this morning, the spouse you have? All of the things of the world trying to kill you with viruses and, and weather and all the other things that are coming against you to get you to this point, to this place right now. And God did all of it intricately. Wow. Isn't our God good? How untraceable is his ways. Right? And so, verse 34. For who has known the mind of God or the Lord and who has been his counselor? Question mark. The answer is no one. God needs no other counselors. Why? Because his ways are completely perfect. We try to tell God, Lord, you clearly haven't seen this situation that I'm walking through, all this anxiety and stress. You clearly have no plan for what's happening here. You you should do this a little differently. Or, hey, I see all this stuff in the world. I see the way that these people love each other. I like this ideology. I like... This social media feed, I like this way of living. I don't like your way of living. I do not like what you've said, so therefore, God, I'm going to live my own way, and you can just figure out where you're at in that. We're really good about giving God a lot of advice, aren't we? And yet he still died on a cross for us. Amazing. See, remember our iceberg and Grand Canyon illustration, this verse, again, doesn't mean that he, you can't know some things about God, right? There are things he has revealed in his word through his people. But he's an ice, if the iceberg is working out this way, right, it's Everest in its height infinitely deep below. We can only see what God has revealed about himself. And again, church family, The one thing we should never do with God is the main thing we always do with God, isn't it? Is we give him advice. We're constantly telling him what to do. We give God no love, no delight, no worship. Just advice. And church, God doesn't need you to be his counselor today. He needs you to worship. You should worship him and he doesn't even need that he's already perfect in his ways we get to that's the beauty and then another part of the the main thing that we talked about last week was our prayer so instead of giving god advice what we should do is pray pray in the submissive humble act of telling god that he's in control and you are not and it's awesome that's a good place to be That's a good place to rest your heart. See, the mindset of prayer is, we have a need. God, would you come and help us with this need? I don't understand what you're doing. I want to glorify you in this. So God, we love you and your will be done, right? Not my will, but your will be done as Christ prayed. We don't have to look very far to see where the beauty of prayer comes into this. God knows what he's doing with your life. Because his ways are perfect. Verse 35. Or who has given a gift to God that he might be repaid? Church, God is never in our debt. God doesn't owe you anything. A very famous astrophysicist once said, the universe doesn't owe you anything. It doesn't owe you its mysteries. It's funny that he's an atheist. And yet has a lot to say about God. God doesn't owe us anything. We're not in God's debt. We can never say, look, God, I've done enough, so now it's time for you to do some stuff for me. Can't do that with God. And we tend to put God on blast when he's not doing what we demand. So we are often bewildered, we're often stumped, we're often put in a tough place and we're just begging God, to change based on what we've done. God, I've done enough, haven't I? I've lived good enough. It's time for you to do something for me. That's why John 3.16 is so really amazing for you this morning. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Think about the depth of that after what we've considered. And he still says that to you, even though you think you're, you have God in your debt. Amazing. It's a free gift. See, God, we're stingy with God, but God is never stingy with us, is he? We're always asking God what we deserve, and we never give him what he deserves. And yet he's still gracious and kind and merciful through the gospel, isn't he? I just want that to hit you this morning in the best way, in the best way, because it'll lead you to worship. It'll lead you to glory. See, this morning, we are unspeakably rich, aren't we? Nothing can stop God from accomplishing his promises. If he promises to love you and to satisfy you for all eternity, he will do so. So we don't need anything else we need these promises we don't need another employee we don't need another friend we don't need another parent we don't need another spouse we don't need another fill in that blank what we need is we need to come to the awesome reality that we are standing at the base of something unbelievably unspeakably profound and majestic that we come to what martin lloyd jones said about a christian martin lloyd jones was a famous british pastor he had this really great British accent, so it won't come out the same way he says it. But here's what he says about a Christian. He says, I like this forthrightness of the gospel. People need to have their mouths shut or stopped. They are forever talking about God and criticizing God and pontificating about what God should or should not do. And asking, why does God allow this and that? You do not begin to be a Christian until your mouth has been shut. It stops, and you are speechless and have nothing to say, because you don't look at the foot of Everest and say, you're stupid. How dare you be so tall? But we do it with God all the time, don't we? How dare you save people the way you do? How dare you tell me how to live my life? And God is so rich in mercy. People like us, isn't he? We got to be like Job, who said too much and God spoke back. And when God spoke, it was intense. Verse 36 For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. As we finish this sermon, every scientist, astronomer, physicist is asking this question Who are we? Who am I? And why are we here? God answers it. Because all things are for his glory, including you, including that three pound brain in your skull that you think and you rely on so much. It's all for his glory. See, we will not find the answer to that big question under the microscope, in DNA, and not written on the moon or in a star. It's written in the Bible. It's revealed through God and his His work in the world, and every Christian knows the answer to the question, don't they? See, Christians don't know everything, but they do know something about everything. That's important. Because all things exist for God. And they're all to him, and for to him be glory forever. So if you're here today, and you don't believe in Jesus, you cannot outrun God. You may try to not listen. You may try to not understand. You may try to explain it away with a good YouTube video and a good TikTok and that kind of thing. You can't outrun this God because you can't get your hands around him. He's untraceable, unsearchable. His riches of knowledge are so deep and wide and infinite. You can try to outrun God, but God, praise be to God that He has not tried to outrun us and, and not give a, He hasn't given us what we deserved. He's given us Christ and His sacrifice on the cross. And there are a couple people I want to end with who got it in history. The first one is Fanny Crosby. Oh gosh, I totally skipped ahead, but I'm going to go ahead and skip ahead. So skip ahead to Fanny Crosby for me. Here's Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby was born blind. She had a rare condition. They saved her life, but couldn't save her sight. And she said this in an interview. She said, it seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life. And I thank him for this disp- disp- dispensation. If perfect earthly sight were offered me tomorrow, I would not accept it. I might not have sung hymns to the praise of God if I had been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things about me. Church Fanny Crosby understood. She understood so did another st- saint, William Cowper, in 1777. He was extremely suicidal and had extreme depression and anxiety and fear. He tried to kill himself many times, and it was his friend John Newton who helped save his life, and John Newton was the writer of Amazing Grace, if you know that story. William never knew the glory and hope in the the satisfaction of knowing Christ fully on this earth, did he? But he does now. Here's what he wrote, a hymn, God Moves in Mysterious Ways. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread, don't miss this, are big with mercy and shall break and blessings on your head. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. And for us this morning in this text, blind to unbelief is sure to error and scan his work in vain, but God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. What is the chief of man? to glorify God and enjoy him forever? And as I read this, I will be teaching on this passage tonight in youth group, and I thought it was important for us to read it. What's all of this meant for? It's meant for a throne. We're meant to be before a throne, before an amazing God and an amazing Savior. And here's what we will do together. Revelation chapter 5 says, Then I looked and I heard a voice of many angels around the throne and also the living creatures and of the elders. Their number was countless thousands plus thousands of thousands. That's an ancient way of saying I don't know the number, but it's immense. And they said with a loud voice, like you and I will, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say, blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne. And to the lamb forever and ever, and the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. You see, you and I were meant to taste glory. But we keep, we're in a fallen world. We keep looking for other things to fill that void. But this morning, remember this. For, him, for from him and through him. And to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Let's pray.